Good morning, church. Hi, everyone. My name is Ray. I'm here to give the uh, Bible reading this morning. Uh, this morning's Bible reading comes from Job 38. So, if you're, um, so this, uh, we're coming to the, uh, close to the end of uh, the series in our book of uh, Job. Uh, Job, uh, who has suffered uh, tremendous tragedy and loss, uh, has been questioning God and uh, just longing for God to respond. Uh, so we've uh, come to Job 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when you laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together, and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the seas behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds in its garments and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in in place, when I said, this far you may come and come no farther? Here is where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the, the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the darkness of the deepest of the have you shown the gate have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know their paths? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you are already born. You have lived so many years. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for the days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed, or the place where the east wind are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain, and a path for the thunderstorm, to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland, and make it sprout with with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers the, the drops of dew? From whose womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from heavens? When the waters became hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen, can you bind the chains of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their season, or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the cockerel understanding? Who has wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in the thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? This is God's word.
Well, friends, please keep your, your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at Job 38 to 42, which is coming right to the end of Job. Although um, next week, we're actually going to have one more sermon really digging deep into the right at the end of 42. So today we're doing more of the big picture for 38 to 42. So it's our second last week. And I hope that you've enjoyed our journey through this magnificent book as we seek to make sense of the storm. Now, friends, a UK survey on religious belief showed um, some interesting findings. The first finding was this. The highest agreement was to this statement here, which probably won't be uh, much of a surprise. Let me see if this works. Ah. Can you run that back to me? Thanks. The receiver is uh, not, not there. But could I just have the first slide? Thanks, Gary. Yeah, you plug that in. So this is the, the highest agreement uh, to the, in this religious belief survey was to this statement. I find it hard to believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world. Okay? Highest agreement to that statement. But the lowest agreement was to actually uh, the next statement, which was this. God could prevent suffering if he wanted to. That was actually a statement that the least people agreed to. So many people, it sort of showed something that many people find it hard to believe that there is a God because of how much suffering there is in the world. But even if he was real, I don't think he could do much about it anyway. It's interesting, isn't it? Is this how you feel, maybe? Maybe you're here today, you're not yet a believer in God. Or maybe you are and you're doubting some of these things. Or perhaps um, this is how your friends feel. Today's passage uh, will be challenged about our views of God. How do we view God? How big is our God? It, what, who do we think that he is? Do you, do you think that he's in control? And do you believe that he's strong enough to restrain evil? That's a big question. Well, today, um, it's none other than God himself who will be giving a speech. Yeah? And we're going to look at the words of God and we're going to see what he has to say about himself. Okay? And the first point is this. That he is the God who is sovereign over creation. He is the God that is sovereign over creation. Throughout this whole book, Job has been asking for God to show up. God, show up. You know, show yourself to me. Give me some answers to the suffering. And finally, he gets his wish. What happens? Well, the storm clouds roll in from the horizon. The sky darkens. The thunder booms. The lightning cracks. And God speaks out of the storm. And these are his words. Have a look at Job 38, verse 2, in your Bibles with me. 38, verse 2. These are the words he starts with. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Job has been questioning God, and now it's God's turn. And what comes is, a rebuke. There's no denying it. But what we must know that this is a loving rebuke. It's a rebuke which is for the good of Job, which will help Job see God and come back to him. God hits Job with a non-stop barrage of questions. You might have felt that as Ray read out Job 38 for us. This extends for three chapters. Three chapters of question after question. It's very intense. Have a look at verse 4 with me. 38 verse 4. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand... Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what, on what were its footing set? On who, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped 
it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this, is, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves hold. And on and on and on and on and on, God continues question after question after question. It's overwhelming, completely overwhelming. And what is happening is Job chapters 38 and 39 give us an awe-inspiring picture of God. God, The God who is uh, sovereign over creation. He's saying to Job, he's saying, Job, look at the world around you. Just look. Look at the amazing world. Look at the clouds. Look at the lightning. Look at the rain. Look at the hail, the water, the stars, the wild creatures, the the funny ostrich, the brave warhorse, the majestic eagle. Tell me, Job, tell me something. Job, did you make these things? Did you make them? Job, are you God? Was it you that spoke the world into existence? Job, tell me. And as we look at these verses, it's clear God is not only talking about him being the God who is sovereign over creating this wonderful creation. It's actually about God ruling this wonderful creation. This is about God's sovereignty, his rule over all things. God is not a God that creates this world and steps away from it. Yeah, he's not a God that winds up this world like an automatic watch and leaves it and goes away. That's a, a worldview called deism. All right? This is a God that is intimately involved, intimately involved in every aspect of creation, sustaining, ruling. These verses speak of God providing food for the ravens, causing the mountain goats to give birth, commanding the flight of the eagles. And one of my favorite verses in this section that captures this truth is um, verse 35 in Job 38. Here it is on the screen. Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. I just love the poetic force of that verse. Have you ever tried to control the weather? Have you ever tried to step outside and say, rain, stop, or, you know, rain, come, or, you know, I want a lovely day today? Doesn't, no matter how many times you ask your Google Home, it's not going to happen, right? Like, you, you want to know what's going to happen in this day. You can't control it. Trust me, it doesn't work. But even the wildest, untamed elements of nature are under the command of the sovereign God. Creation bows its knee to God. It, all of creation presents itself to God and says, Here we are. You command us. Do as you will. Did you realize that? Everything you see around you is under the rule of God. From that kookaburra on your fence who finds a juicy worm in your backyard to the roaring storm as the rain pounds on your roof, every aspect is under the rule of God. It only happens at the command of our sovereign God. Friends, these verses are here to tell us something. Our God is awesome, awesome in his sovereignty. And this God, this God, this is the God that Job has been questioning. This is the the God that Job has essentially been saying to God, hey God, are you sure you know what you're doing? Things don't seem to be working the way that they should be. Are you you sure things are are running properly? That's what uh, Job's been saying essentially. As we come to chapter 40, God summarizes his response 
to these accusations. So I want you to turn with me, to flip a few chapters forward, chapter 40, Job 40. This is sort of God's summary to these responses. Um, and it says this, Job 40, verse 7. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? Do you have an arm like God's? And can you, your voice thunder like his? Then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty. Unleash the fury of your wrath. Look at all who are proud and bring them low. Look at all who are proud and humble them. Crush the wicked where they stand. Bury them all in the dust together. Shroud their faces in the grave. Then I myself will admit to you that your own right hand can save you. And this is what God is saying to Job as he sums up his response here. Job, are you me? Job, are you God? Do you know better than the sovereign ruler of the entire universe? If so, why don't you have a turn? Here's a throne, Job, over to you. You try it. You humble the proud. You crush the wicked. You punish evil. You judge the world with perfect justice. By all means, here, Job, you run things. Imagine if God said that to you. How would you feel? Job realizes, as God speaks, that he didn't create the world. Therefore, he doesn't really know how it all works, how it's been structured, how things are designed. He doesn't know how to rule well. He doesn't know how to rule justly. He doesn't know how to rule rightly because he is not God. And he realizes, therefore, that he has no right to tell God how to do his job. Friends, have you ever... um, had a backseat driver in the car with you, backseat driver, or maybe it's a person sitting next to you, uh, someone who loves to tell you, uh, you know, when you should brake or how fast you should accelerate or like when you should start slowing down or things like that. Um, You know, uh, we've all had this happen to us. We've all had that backseat driver with us. Maybe you are that backseat driver (laughs) next to that person, right? We've all been in both situations, I'm sure. But even worse, if if that person who's a backseat driver um, doesn't even have their license yet, right? How do you feel about that? You're like, you have no right to tell me how to drive. You have no idea how to do this. You've got the most basic understanding of driving in the world. And I reckon some of the teenagers over there, that's probably you guys, yeah? Telling your parents how to drive. It's not right, you know, when that happens. It feels unjust. This is sort of like what Job is doing to God, but obviously in a much bigger way. He's demanding that God show up and give him answers, that God run things the way that he thinks things should be run. But his knowledge is so limited. It is so limited. Which is why God starts his entire speech like this. Can you remember? The first words God said was this. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Without knowledge. I just imagine Job in this scene like... um, Sort of like a small kid getting in trouble, you know, just looking down at the ground, sort of shifting uncomfortably, knowing that he's, been in, he's in the wrong. He's being told off here. <laughs> in fact, the only response we get from Job is in this section so far is a short comment at the start of verse 40, uh, chapter 40. Have a look. Start of chapter 40, same chapter you're on, chapter 40, verse 1. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? 
Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord. This is all he said so far. I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I'll say no more. That's all Job can say at this point. Before the might of the awesome God, who is sovereign over all creation, the all-powerful, all-knowing, almighty God, Job is speechless. He has nothing to say. He's been humbled. This is a man who's in awe. Because finally, he's seeing how majestic and great and huge the God of the universe is. The God who holds creation in the palm of his hands. He's in awe. Friends, we, we get a little glimpse of this when we behold something beautiful in creation, don't we? Yeah. We behold a magnificent, a magnificent sunset or, we, um, or sunrise if you get up early enough. Or we scale to the heights of a mountain and we see the world around us and we're just, we just have nothing to say because we're just struck by how small we are and how huge the creation around us is. Struck silent with awe. I think Job right now would be feeling very small, very small. And God is saying to Job, I want you to see who I am. I want you to see that I am in control. I am sovereign. And you can trust me. And Job is humbled. But as Job is humbled, there is a problem that still remains that we haven't talked about yet. Creation is wonderful and beautiful. We see God's handiwork all around us, but creation is also hard and painful. If God is sovereign, how about all this suffering? So God goes on to remind Job that he is also the God who is sovereign over evil. In God's first speech, we get hints of this truth as God speaks about the sea. Uh, The sea in biblical imagery is a picture of chaos and disorder and threat. It is symbolic of evil. I'm not sure if you knew that. That's why actually you see in the new creation, in Revelation, it says there is no sea any longer. So Job 38, verse 8. So turn back, a little bit of flipping today. Job 38, verse 8. Yeah, chapter 38, verse 8. There's a little bit of a hint of what God will do to evil. Who, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. See, this imagery here is, that God's given us is that the sea does not rage unchecked. God is in control of it. He sets limits for it. God is the one that says, you may come this far, but no further. This hints at the fact, the first hint, that evil is restrained. But this theme in the second speech of God, in chapter 40, we actually see develop much more. Uh, Chapter 40, we didn't read it today, um, but uh, it starts to speak in these later speeches of God of two great beasts. So if you read ahead, hopefully you did, the behemoth and the leviathan, two great beasts, fearsome, powerful beasts that no humans can stand against. Now, there's lots of debate. What are these creatures? Some commentators actually believe that's talking about um, a hippo and a crocodile, all right? A hippo and a crocodile. But this seems very unlikely to me. 
Because after God's second speech, Job is humbled even more and he bows down in worship even more. I don't think a hippo would bring about that response. Okay? I just think there's something more here. So what are these beasts? Well, let's focus on the Leviathan because scriptures elsewhere talk of this beast. Um, Have a look at the screen. In Psalm 74, the psalmist speaking of the God who rescues, says this, It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the head of the monster in the waters. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan. This is more than a crocodile that it's talking about here. This is a picture of God fighting against an enemy and God winning. Okay? And Isaiah uses very similar story language to bring this point about. Isaiah 27 verse 1. In that day, the Lord will punish with his sword, the fierce, great, and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. This biblical imagery, you know, that continues all throughout the Bible. The Leviathan here is depicted as the enemy of God, the arch enemy of God, a fearsome power that no human can overcome, but God can. In other words, he is... The Satan. That word means enemy. Here's the embodiment of terror, chaos, and evil. And God uses this beastly imagery, this language, to emphasize the fearsome strength, power, and might of the arch enemy of all humanity. But here's the point that God is sovereign even over the arch enemy, even over the evil of Satan. God Ask Job questions to make this point in an almost comical fashion if you look at Job 41. So have a look at Job 41 with me, chapter 41, flip over, chapter 41, verse 1. And this is what God asks Job. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you for you to take it as your slave for life? Can you make it a pet? You can make a pet of it like a bird or put it on a leash for the young women in your house. Will traders barter for it? Will they divide it up among the merchants? Can you fill its hide with harpoons or its head with a fishing spear? If you lay a hand on it, you'll remember the struggle and never do it again. Here's what God is saying. He's saying, hey Job, try catching the fearsome sea monster with your fishing rod. Go on. Have a go. Why don't you take it home as your pet? Maybe you can have, you know, put a collar on it, put a leash on it, dress it up a little bit maybe. Of course not. If you take on the power of evil, you will be defeated and you will never do it again. And God goes on. Verse 9. Any hope of subduing it is false. The mere sight of it is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse it. Who then is able to stand against me. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. God is trying to make a point here to Job. There is no human hope of overpowering evil. No human can do that. Job knows this better than most, as he's been the one repeatedly attacked by Satan. But what humans cannot do, God can do. Because he is sovereign. Sorry, I don't think I highlighted that. Well, verse 10 again. Who then is able to stand against me? 
Who has a claim against me that I must pay? This is God speaking. Everything under heaven belongs to me. Not even the mightiest evil can stand against God because he's totally sovereign over all. Nothing escapes his rule. Know this, friends. Satan is evil. He's an evil power, but he is still a creature and not out of God's hands. Satan is on God's leash. Remember the story of Job that Satan, right at the start, what does he have to do? He has to come to God to get permission before he even goes anywhere near Job. He can do nothing outside of the sovereign rule of the Almighty God. And this is vital for us to know. This is a really important point. Why is it important? Because sometimes we think of this battle of good versus evil. We think of uh, Satan versus God, like two autonomous powers uh, going toe-to-toe against each other, equally matched, trading blows. Who will win? Maybe Satan will get the upper hand today. Maybe it's God that's got the upper hand slightly. It's, It's this force, this battle that's going on. But if that was the case, if that was how things work, we would have absolutely zero assurance as Christians, wouldn't we? Zero assurance. We'd be just left wondering every moment, is God going to win today? Will he be able to protect me? Maybe Satan's going to win today. Will, is God going to be able to keep me safe? Every day, that would be our thought. But praise be to God, because this isn't the case. We do not have to live in fear. We can live with great assurance, knowing that even the mightiest evil is no match for the almighty God of the universe. Satan is but a puppy straining on God's leash, trying to get his way. He can go no further than what God allows. Friends, I want you to know this as you encounter suffering. It isn't because God has dropped the ball, that he's accidentally let things get out of hand, that he's overwhelmed by the enemy that day. No, No, God is completely and utterly in control even when evil comes into our lives. That is always the case. This is hard to grasp, I know. It's hard to wrap our heads around perfectly. But we are called to, like like Job is, not to try to understand everything perfectly, but to see who our sovereign God is. That's our bigger call. And to trust in him. He is in control. This we can be sure of. Because he has declared it himself with his own mouth, even over the power of evil. And there's no greater assurance than we can have than this, is there? Knowing that our God has everything in his hands, even our suffering. Well, let's summarize quickly so far. Job has been asking for answers. He's asking God, why are these things happening? And here's God's answer. Because I'm God, and you are not. I'm sovereign over creation. I'm sovereign even over evil. I want you to trust in me. That's the summary so far. And how does Job respond? Well, let's have a very quick look at how Job responds. Job sees God, point three. After God's second speech, Job humbles himself even further. Job 42. Have a look at Job 42 with me. Chapter 42, flip forward, chapter 42. It's the final chapter. Job 42, verse 1, is Job's second response. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. 
Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now we'll dive in really deep into this a bit deeper next week, but I just want to draw out two things quickly. Firstly, we see that Job repents. Um, Verse 6, he says, I repent in dust and ashes. What's he repenting of? Well, it isn't that he's admitting that he was a secret sinner all along and now he's been caught out. He did, he's not saying, oh yes, God, I did deserve punishment all along because I am sinful. He's repenting of how he's treated God here. That's what he's repenting of, how he's spoken to God. Um, I don't know if you got this feel as we were reading it, you know, because um, you know, you're wondering where lament and complaining fits in. Previous weeks, we were talking about how good it is to lament and complain to God. Um, I read this chapter and I go, I'm never going to say anything like that to God again because I do not want to be shut down like God shuts down Job. But I think the problem with Job wasn't the lament in and of itself. It wasn't the fact that he complained to God, he lamented God. It was how Job viewed God. That really was the problem. And as we see, you know, as the book goes on, we see these moments where God, where Job actually pushes it too far. We see Job, you know, put himself on par with God. Sometimes even, I think, above God, dare I say that. He, 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 because what he does, he's, he demands things of God. He demands God explains things to him, as if God owed it to him. He forgets his place. He lacks trust in God. And only right at the end here, this faith is fully reaffirmed. And this only comes when God comes to him and speaks to him, reminding him of who he is. And this is the second thing to note here. Job truly sees God, finally. Verse 5, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. What's Job saying here? He's saying to God, I, I sort of knew you before. You know, I sort of had a bit of a knowledge of you, but it was a distant, second-hand sort of knowledge. But he now says, now I truly see has anyone here been to the Grand Canyon before? Hands up. Anyone been to the Grand Canyon before? Yeah? A few people? Yeah? Um, there's a difference, I'm sure, I've, I've never been, yeah? But there's a difference between, I think, saying that the Grand Canyon is pretty big and then seeing it for yourself. Would I be right in saying that? <laughs> to even look at this photo, you look at it and you're like, wow, look at this. You know, I've heard the Grand Canyon is pretty big. I've, I, I've even seen photos of it. But being yourself... But being there, experiencing it, beholding it in its full glory and splendor with your own two eyes, that's a world of difference. And that's sort of like what's happening with Job right now. Job now truly sees God. He sees that he is sovereign over all. Every single thing in all creation, big or small, nothing is out of his hand, even evil. And Job can do nothing else but fall down on his face in worship. That's his response. Job now truly sees God. And here's a question for us. Do you see God? Friends, do you truly see God? My fear is that many of us have a picture of who we want God to be rather than who God actually is. Sort of like what Job is doing here. We, We demand things of God. We say God should act a certain way because that's what we think he should act like. We say things 
to God like this. God, you are supposed to be gracious, so I don't have to take holiness too seriously. You have to forgive me. God, you are supposed to be generous, so you need to give me that job that I want. If, I, if you don't, I'll be very angry at that. God, you're supposed to make me happy. So where is this perfect relationship you promised? And what's happening there is that we're shrinking God down. We're shrinking God down. We demand things of God that he hasn't promised. And what we're doing is that we're treating God like a little genie in a lamp that we come to only when it's convenient, only when we want things. Or maybe, maybe even worse, we just completely ignore God. That's how small he's gotten. We've forgotten all about him. And friends, sometimes we treat God like this because, you know, if we're Christians, we, we know because of Jesus we have a close relationship with God. So we come to God and we treat him very, very casually, but we're forgetting our place. Friends, this is the same God as the God of Job. This is the almighty, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing omniscient, unchangeable, majestic God of the universe we're talking about. This is the one who holds the might of the oceans in his hands and commands storms with his words. The first thing we should be doing above all else before we demand anything of God is to behold him and fall down down on our face in worship. I think many of the problems in our life come from an awe problem because we've lost our awe of God. We're not actually seeing him rightly. I was really challenged by this passage personally as I studied it with my group on Monday night. It really hit me. Um, It really challenged me that I think I see God too casually. I I know this because um, when I sin, for me now, I feel like it's not that big a deal anymore. I sort of go, okay, God, sorry, okay, moving right along. Let's go, I know you'll forgive me. Jesus, da-da-da, you know. It's a very casual view of God. And I've forgotten how serious sin is. That God is the holy God of the universe. That this is a serious matter. Because I've sort of lost my awe of him, I think, in many ways. Friends, how do we fix our worship problem? How do we recapture our awe of God? Well, we need to actually behold our God again. Here's the thing. If we want to know God for who he is and not just who we want him to be, we need to see who he is on his terms, right? Not how we want to invent him to be. And how does God reveal himself? Well, God reveals himself right now and how he always has revealed himself in history. It's through his word. That's the chosen way that he's chosen to reveal himself to us. Just like he he had a Job, God is the God who speaks, isn't he? That's how he reveals himself. At the very basic level, that means we should cherish our Bibles. Isn't that right? We should cherish the word of God because this is how God shows himself to us. And actually, when we come to these scriptures, we'll realize something. We'll realize that they're all pointing forward to the one that is God's final word, his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Have a look at this verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Once again, God's speaking. That's how he's revealing himself. But in these last days, right now, these last days, he has spoken to us by 
his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also he made the universe. Friends, as we come to scriptures, we meet Jesus. And do you know what Jesus is called, what his title is? He is the word become flesh. He is the final word of God. He's the ultimate expression of who God is. That means this, if we want to see God, if we want to behold God, we need to look at Jesus, the one that all scriptures is pointing towards. Because as we look at Jesus, what do we see? We're reminded, again, of the might of God. We're reminded again that Jesus is the one who's sovereign over creation. Uh, you remember what Jesus did. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He commanded the storm to be still, and it was still. And as we look at Jesus, what else do we see? We see that he is sovereign over evil. He commands the evil spirits to come out, and they leave straight away. A legion of demons who has possessed a man comes and falls down on their face before him and say, and say to Jesus, what do you want with me, son of the most high God? The demons bow their knee to his power. This is our sovereign God. And this is the same sovereign mighty God who humbled himself from this high place to death for us, who suffered and died to forgive our sins in shame and suffering on the cross. And this is the God who also rose victorious from the grave, overcoming sin and death to crush the great enemy, the Leviathan, Satan, once and for all, conquering evil through the cross and resurrection. As we look at Jesus, we see God the powerful, sovereign, mighty, gracious, loving God. Behold your God, friends. Be in awe and trust in him. I just want us to do one thing, to just be thinking about one thing. Um, I hope you've seen, you know, we've got to keep coming to God's word if we want to see who God is. But I want you to do one thing as you come to God's word for me. Come to God's word and just, just ask one question, okay? Ask one question. What does this show me about who God is? Okay. If you ask one thing, if you get one thing out of your Bible reading, just, just ask this question. Okay. What does, how does this show me? What does this show me about who God is? Because I think that's what God actually wants. He doesn't want a, a, a better academic theology He wants your life transformed because you've seen who he is through his word. That's why he gave us his word, to show us who he is. That's why. I keep coming back to this quote Paul Tripp says, if you don't walk away from your Bible reading more in awe of God than when you started, then then you're doing something wrong because we should be in awe of God as we come to see him in the scriptures. And when we do see him, that will transform all of our life, transform everything. We will trust in him. Just imagine if we were a community that really saw God for who they were, who he was. If every one of us was more in awe of God each and every day as we are reminded from his word about who he is, that he is sovereign over all. Imagine that, every single one of us. Wouldn't our lives look different? Would we be questioning 
like Job question? Would we be demanding things of God like Job did? If we see he's sovereign, that will transform the way we work. That will transform the way we live. Let me tell you, that will transform the way we suffer. Because there's no greater comfort than knowing that God is God and we are not. Friends, behold your God. Be in awe and trust in him. Let me pray. Father God, we, we come before you and we repent of the times that we've not seen you for who you are. We're sorry if we've had too small a view of you. We're sorry if we treated you too casually. And we pray that you will help us see with fresh eyes again who you are, that you are the mighty God of all the universe, the God who is sovereign over all things, even over this problem of suffering and evil. And you are the God that has stepped into our world to bring us a new hope, a hope of eternal life with you, a hope where evil does not exist anymore, where evil is crushed. And we pray that we can keep trusting in you each and every day, seeing who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.